Welcome to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. Counting down movies, music, TV, and pop culture. One top five at a time. And now, here are the two peas. I took her out. It was a Friday night. I walk alone to get the feeling right. We started making out and she took off my pants. But then I turned on the TV. And that's about the time she walked away from me. Nobody likes you when you're 23 And I still more abuse my TV shows What the hell is ADD? My friends say I should act my age What's my age again? What's my age again? What's up ladies and gentlemen? Welcome into another episode of Two Peas So happy that you're here with us again this week We obviously have another fun top five countdown for you This is Gerald with you And the other P on the pod is possibly my most frequent guest I wonder if he has the numbers on that, because I know that was a topic of conversation the last time he was on. Dan? It's double, it's double digits now. Yeah, you know that. 10 at least. At least. At least. I, I want to say it's 12 now, but uh, I don't, I'm not sure. See, all the joking, you like me. You really like me. You keep coming no, back. I just like <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> well, Dan's here, guys. If you don't know him, Dan is from Netflix and Swill. He's obviously a good friend of the show. Like we just mentioned, he's in that 10 to 12 range. I do have the spreadsheet now, Dan, so I'll have to go back and look at it. But I know you're you're well up there. I want to say you've been on more than anyone else. I think Amanda Amanda may give you a run for your money, but it's, it's probably you, if I had to guess. Sure. So thanks for being back, man. And, uh, you know, you're a patron of the show, and you came up with this topic, which was an interesting one. And you just kind of threw it at me a few days ago, and, and here we are. I mean, we don't usually get together as soon as we come up with a topic, but we did in this case. So why don't you tell everyone in your own words what the countdown is tonight, what you came up with. All right. Well, uh, this isn't what everyone thought it was on social media, or at least half of what people thought it was on social media. This is your top five movies that are older than you are. So everyone was like, oh, movies from the year before you were born. Okay. And then just put in, no, top five movies that are older than you. Right. And I always worded, I guess maybe did I word it confusingly because I just said, what did no, I say? I not said, really. I said, what are your favorite films that came out before the year you were born? Which, like, I see where they're coming from, but I know what I meant, and I know what you meant, so... <laughs> I guess if you if you glance at it, though, and you don't really, like, read it, I guess it could you could miss a word in there, and it could just be, like, you know, the year before you were born instead of before the year you were born. So they kind of, like, did a little dyslexic thing there. Right. Well, what year were you born, Dan? 1989. Wow, dude. August of 1989. So yeah, Eight, I'm a young boy. 89. That's not fair. You know, I was I was I was born in 1975, by the way. So 1942. Yep. <laughs> when you pitched this topic to me, you said I was going to have to pull films from the silent era. <laughs> so, yeah. I didn't really Chaplin, appreciate uh, that Chaplin's joke. Made some. <laughs> I didn't really appreciate that joke. But yes, I am an old bastard. Well, I was born in 75 and I did come up with the list pretty quickly. I was telling you when we were chatting online the other night. But at the same time, I was very envious of some of the comments I was seeing online because they were able to name some of these 80s flicks that I love, which I'm assuming you will be as well. And then even in some cases, they were listing 90s films. And I'm like, oh, first of all, I'm just so old. It makes me feel so old. And second of all, I couldn't pick those because I was born in 75. So right. I don't think crossover, right? Did you did you go way back on your list? Uh, my oldest, I think, is sixties. Oh, okay, so maybe, maybe. So yes, it's possible. Well, it's possible on my end, obviously, because everything that I would pick would be before you were born as well. So yes, everything that I'm going to be picking would be eligible for you. So I don't want to give away any titles, but there's one movie that I didn't pick that would have possibly been my number one because it came out the year I was born. So I didn't do like to the day. I just said if it came out in 1975 oh, no. I or later. Oh, I did to the day. You because, did? Okay. Uh, because very specifically for one reason. Okay. I think I might and you'll know hear why. it. I think I might know why, but uh, all right. Yes. Okay. So movies that came out before we were born 
In Dan's case, 1989. In my case, 1975. I'm not expecting crossover, but uh, I don't know, man. We'll, we'll see how it goes. So if you want to get us started, Danny Boy, it's your list, and it was exciting to research it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Why don't you get us started, man? What's your number five? Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. My number five is uh, arguably one of your favorite, mo- most favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. It's Batman 89, which came out in June of 1989. Is this what you were talking about? This is what I was talking about, actually. Can I just say, uh, well, I don't know. I don't want to give, I don't think you would pick this, but. I did not pick the movie Jaws because oh. it came out in 75, but that would have easily been in my top five. Sure. I See, th- that's why I said before you were born, because I wanted to go, like, basically just use that. And uh, actually, the next movie on my list is also in a similar category of also being a 1989 movie that I find oh. my favorite. But, you know, it's uh, it's Tim Burton's Batman. Mm-hmm. What can you say that hasn't been said about it a million times before? I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, we could go on and on, but especially people that listen to this show regularly, they probably have heard me go on and on about it. I love this movie. It's been on several lists that we've done on this show, and I actually just did a retrospective over on the Patreon where I, uh, you know, gushed about this movie for 30 minutes. It's uh, one of my favorite superhero slash comic book films ever made. Mm-hmm. Tim, Tim Burton's one of my favorite filmmakers. Obviously, I couldn't pick it for this list, but I'm kind of glad yeah, that you bastard. quote unquote. I mean, I don't. I won't say you cheated, but I'm glad you went. I didn't cheat. <laughs> it was in the letters of the my day. law because I came up with the topic. <laughs> That's right. You're the fucking boss here, buddy. I'm with you on that. I'm so glad that I got some love tonight. So, Batman '89 is your number five. All right, man. I'm only going to say this one time, Dan. You know I'm a horror guy, right? Okay, this is your one time. (laughs) That's it? All right, well, the reason I'm saying it is because, let's see, four out of my five in my top five would be considered horror movies or in the horror genre. And then if I'm looking at my honorable mention, six out of ten would be considered horror movies. The first one comes in at number five, and I'm actually interested to see if you've seen some of these older horror films, so I was going to ask you about that as well. But it's 1973's The Exorcist. The classic from William Freakin. You ever see this? Nope. Haven't yet. So this one passed you by. Is this on your to-do list? I mean, eventually. Okay. Uh, I have, I'm currently uh, recording this in early August. I I have to uh, power through some of my all-time favorites in order to build a list for Paul. Uh, Mm -hmm. But once I do that, I'm going to start catching back up on things I have to watch again. Good. Well, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, when it comes to 1973's The Exorcist, I don't want to give it away then because I do think it's best. The, the less you know about it, as far as like spoilers, the better that the kind of like plot twists and like jump scares and that type of stuff will get you on a first time viewing. But Linda Blair, who plays young Reagan in the film, who becomes possessed, I mean, obviously, you probably know that much at least. It's just like iconic imagery in the horror genre. And particularly from like a possession film standpoint, because this is really when that possession genre kind of took off. And now we look most recently to films like The Conjuring and Insidious and those types of things. I mean, they all harken back to The Exorcist. And it's one of the foundation pieces in horror because, you know, you can break up horror into so many different subgenres and breaking it up into that possession subgenre. The Exorcist is the Mac Daddy. So I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't want to give it away for you because I hopefully you will see it you know sooner than later. But that's my number five from 1973. By the way, you may have heard me mention this on the show before, Dan, uh, but my father, I can remember him telling me when this was on TV, when him and I were watching it, that he had to leave the theater as a young kid when this he, he went to see this in the theater and he couldn't make it all the way through it. That's how scary it was to folk, folks in the 70s going to see it. So that's my number five, man. All right, so that brings me to my number four. My number four is also a 1989 movie. came out in February of that year, and it's The Burbs starring Tom Hanks, uh, Rick nice. Dukeman, uh Bruce Dern, Wendy Shaw, Carrie Fisher, uh, R- Ricky, who, who's played by, God, why can't, Corey Feldman. Like, uh, Feldman, yeah. what a cast. What, an, what a very 80s cast. 
however, this this movie is hysterical because it's about uh, a very bored man uh, over a vacation uh, who it's like he doesn't have anything to do. So all he does mm-hmm. is just spy on his neighbors and uh, ultimately gets talked into the fact that they are a satanic uh, family by his idiot fucking uh, <laughs> neighbor. Right. No, yeah. The Burbs is cool, man. It's a great dark comedy. You know, like a black comedy. Yes. I love The Burbs. Where's this fall for you in Tom Hanks' catalog? Is this one of your faves of his? Uh, Yeah. Maybe like top ten. Okay, yeah. It's a good flick, man. And it's often forgotten because his catalog has gotten to be so huge. You know, and a lot of people kind of forget about The Burbs. But it's a, it's a great pick, man. That's your four. I love it. So look, man, you know what I'm doing. I'm on the horror train. I'm just rolling along here. So this is a movie that's come up on my show before. In fact, with our buddy Nick uh, over at Epic Film Guys, him and I talked about this one a little bit. But it's all the way back to 1954. It's one of the original uh, what would be considered universal monster movies. Mm-hmm. And it's Creature from the Black Lagoon is my number four. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say you've never seen it. Have you seen nope, it? Nope, not at all. All right, that's what I figured. I got to get you on this, man. We got to do that Patreon series so I can get you to watch some of this stuff, man. Maybe I'll get you to do the Universal Monster movies. Nah, that's okay. No? All right, well, I love this movie. So, you know, I mentioned on that episode prior that I was just talking about that, you know, Guillermo del Toro just did The Shape of Water a couple years ago, and that borrows a lot from Creature from the Black Lagoon. In fact, it's almost a parallel storyline with the exception of the monster, so to speak, in Shape of Water is not monstrous. He's a very kind of gentle character, whereas in Creature from the Black Lagoon, he is pretty uh, villainous. You know what I right. mean? He's kind of a, a malicious character. So it's hard to kind of root for him uh, because he does take on that much more of a monster persona. But it's very much in the same way where it's like, you know, the humans and the people that want to capture him and, you know, like, run tests on him and stuff like that. They're the real monsters, you know, and then you kind of see that trope just kind of played out throughout Hollywood over the last several decades. But yeah, Creature from the Black Lagoon is pro- is my favorite of the quote-unquote universal monster movies from the 50s and 60s, and that's why it's on here, man. And it was almost a no-brainer when you told me you wanted to do this. And I knew it came out before I was born. I know you think I'm old, but 1954, I got it beat, so... That's my number four, man. Which is over to you, Dan. What do you got at three, buddy? Well, uh, yeah, uh, my number three would then uh, be the aforementioned Jaws. Uh, You you didn't want to put it on your list, but I will because you know, my God, I did not think you. I didn't mean to steal anything from you. I didn't think you were going to throw this on there, but this is so exciting for me. I love this. Yeah, no, it's talk um, talk about Jaws. uh, It's the one movie that I interrupt my Independence Day twenty four hour marathon on Independence Day for. Uh, Give it, Mm -hmm. give it, give it one good watch, and then you know go back to watching uh, Bill Pullman fly a fighter plane for no (laughs) fucking reason whatsoever. But right, it's like the ultimate adventure movie. Like, but it also has like those horror elements, and you know you you see that Spielberg made uh, fucking. Roast amazing chicken out of chicken shit, basically, with the fact that the robot would never work, and it was just like, oh well, I guess we'll just build the tension by just never showing the thing until like halfway through the movie, and now everyone copies right. that, and it's like, well, you don't mm-hmm. do it as well because you're not Spielberg. That's right, yeah, but he really did create just that. You're right, he created that style of filmmaking. I mean, he really did because it was rarely seen prior to 1975. Yeah, I mean, this is a masterpiece, brother. I just got the 4K Blu-ray, which is an amazing restoration, by the way. Uh, And I watched it on July 4th. So I watched this very, very recently. Mm -hmm. And I do watch Jaws and Independence Day also every July 4th. So I'm happy to... I knew you did the the ID4. I knew you were a huge fan of that one. But I'm glad to hear that you're throwing Jaws in the mix. So since we're so close together, once COVID's over, let's get together, throw on Jaws. You know? No. Check it out. No, no, no. You can come over. You can come over. Watch the 4K. No, bro. That'd be awesome. No. You watch, play with my kids and shit. It'll be no, great. Absolutely not. <laughs> All right, man. So Jaws is your three. Thank you so much for doing that. Because, like I said, with my parameters, I decided not to include it on my list because I was born in '75. Now I was born in November of '75, uh-huh. and that and that came out in July of '75. So I would have been able to if I had been a little more hardline to the list. But thank you for mentioning it. That's your number three. So my number three, man, 1960. I mean, is this a shock? I don't think so, but it's Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. 
Okay, sure. My number three. Is this one that you've seen? No, I've, I've seen two of his movies, uh, mm-hmm. and, and it wasn't this one. Rear Window and The, the Birds or something to that effect? I've seen The Birds. Uh, right. The other one is on my honorable mentions, and I'll just I'll mention that when it comes up. Oh, out. okay. All right, I got you. Well, you know, we were just talking about what Spielberg did with Jaws. I mean, Hitchcock is a pioneer, uh, particularly in horror cinema, murder mysteries, you know, that kind of realm, right. whatever you want to call that, like kind of like the modern-day thriller would be, you know, I mean, Hitchcock-esque is like an adjective that people use to describe different styles of filmmaking and suspense and horror and stuff like that. And Psycho was this really just fucking crazy story. Uh, I'm assuming you know at least the base story of it, even if you haven't seen it. But, you know, Norman Bates just kind of takes on this split personality, basically. And he's, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, a mama's boy who can't detach from his mother's mother's kind of control over him. And, it, you know, he's a split personality. And that's the best way to put it. And mm-hmm. when he's in the... When he's in the alternate reality is when he's doing the things that you know, the very bad things that he should not be doing. Uh, but this is just an iconic piece of filmmaking, man. I mean, there's so many scenes in this movie that you know people that haven't even seen the film they just know them. You know, whether they are a lover of movies or they've taken you know classes in college about movies or whatever. You know, the shower scene. I mean. I haven't done that list yet, but if anybody ever pitched the most iconic movie scenes to me, that's I would imagine that would be on my five. If sure. not, definitely my top ten. Right. Uh, and just the same thing with the score too. I mean, just it's just an amazing score. The music blends so beautifully with that scene and with the ominous tone of the rest of the film. Uh, and it's amazing, man. So Psycho, I would say give it a whirl, especially if you like that Hitchcock kind of style of filmmaking. Uh, and you know what people don't realize too is in 1960. Like, it was tough to make a horror movie in 1960, mm-hmm. and that's why there weren't a ton of them. I mean, we were just talking about Black Lagoon, which is like a monster movie, but, I mean, it was a dude in a suit. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was cartoonish almost. Right, right. And, you know, when you have something like Psycho, where it's like this psychotic killer who's stabbing people in the shower with a butcher knife, you know, there were limitations in Hollywood and the MPAA and things like that in the 60s where you know, you couldn't show blood on screen and you couldn't show a knife penetrating skin and like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they, and they don't because, you know, he had those limitations Hitchcock did, but the level of suspense, like the way that you still feel for Marion Crane and the suspense that surrounds a lot of those scenes without him showing you anything. <laughs> it's just like amazing. Like it's literally a tremendous feat in filmmaking that he was, I mean, my, I remember my grandmother, you know, she was obviously around when this was popular and it came out and everything. And I can remember her telling me, much like what my dad said about The Exorcist, she would tell me, like, she's like, I didn't take a shower for months. <laughs> she's gross. Like, I would have she would have seen that with her. I know, gross, right? She would have seen that with her husband, my granddad, and she took baths for, like, two or three months after that because she's like, I couldn't shower. I mean, that's how frightening it was to young people in the 60s seeing it. And when you watch it back, Dan, like, Hitchcock, like you don't see anything horrific, right. quote unquote horrific on, on screen. It's a lot of camera shots and like jump cuts and close ups to like tub drains and like, you know, I mean, a lot of weird shit, but the way the music's incorporated and the way the acting is portrayed on camera, uh, he just nailed it, man. So it's definitely one of the most iconic pieces of filmmaking in the horror genre. It's my number three, man. I think there's a lot of similarities to Jaws there because you watch Jaws and like I, w- I watch that and now I'm like, why is anyone afraid of that shark? And everyone, like, you hear about everyone, like, mm-hmm. I'm not going in the ocean ever, or we're going to go murder some sharks. I'm just like, mm-hmm. this is, th- that's okay. I mean, you, you do whatever, but it's like, I don't I don't get it. And, and with that, but it's right. I, I think with, like, Psycho, like, probably watching Psycho, I'd be like, I don't get it. Like, what's, what's right. the big deal? Right, and I think that's when you have, to, and you're absolutely 100% right, because I actually think about that when I rewatch these. I'm like, I mean... They're iconic. They're amazing from a filmmaking perspective, but they're not, they don't scare me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But if you can transport yourself to the 60s and 70s in those two respective cases, there had never been anything like that done before. And they were going to see them on the big screen after never having seen anything like that. So if you, if I don't know if there's anything that scared you, you know, in the last five or 10 years that, 
was something new to you that like it's in other words it's almost like the fear factor is that it was the unknown that you had never seen it mm-hmm. do you know what i mean sure and that was what was scary yeah now now um, today i've seen like saw and hostile and that kind of shit mm-hmm. and i'm like it's uh, someone getting stabbed in the shower is like nothing compared to what what you see in <laughs> in modern cinema exactly so uh but yeah okay so sorry i didn't mean to go on and on there i just love psycho so much man and uh that's my number three so we're over to you buddy what do you got over there man all right this is the oldest movie on my list uh by a long shot it is 12 angry men yeah that's a good one hey you know what i was just talking about our boy nick right and uh this movie came up on that same episode where we talked about black lagoon did you hear that episode for black and white films uh has it been released on your main feed yet Yes, and that was oh, the last time Nick was on. That was the last time Nick was on, and he named this movie. And I told him then that I have not seen this movie in way too long, and that's still the case. I haven't rewatched it in probably twenty years. I uh, talk about it, man. Talk about it, man. I, Great film. Though. I actually just got it on Criterion. Uh, I have fuck three Criterions now after having zero up mm. until like a month ago. Uh, okay, but. I don't know, it's relatively simple. You get the ending of a trial. Uh, it, for the case of uh, a boy who murdered his father, allegedly. And uh, you follow th- this jury of 12 dudes who just go into a back room and are like, all right, decide this kid's fate. And there's all there's this one holdout. And everyone, there, you got like four or five dudes just kind of yelling at him, be like, what's what's wrong with you? Why are you defending this guy? And he's like, mm, but... And he, you watch him slowly turn them all until, you know, the... the, the how the turntables, Gerald? You 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 get uh, a, a majority against a majority who don't believe that he he killed his father, and then uh, they have to convince the minority that it's they're in the wrong, and that they have to they have to acquit the kid. It's it's compelling cinema, and like it's relatively simply done. Like it's all it's all basically in one room the entire time. Right. That's what the that's what fascinates me. Yeah. Yeah, that's what fascinates me. I was, I was just about to ask you that. I was like, it's all in one location, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's all been said. They talk here forever. It's still the same thing. This kid is five for all. Well, look at his record. When he was 10, he was in children's court. He threw a rock at a teacher. When he was 15, he was in reform school. He stole a car. He's been arrested for mugging. He was picked up twice for knife fighting. Oh, yeah, they say he's real handy with a knife. Oh, this is a very fine boy. Ever since he was five years old, his father beat him up regularly. He used his fists. Well, so would I. A kid like that? <laughs> it's these kids the way they are nowadays. When I was a kid, I used to call my father Sir. That's right, Sir. You ever hear a kid call his father that anymore? Fathers don't seem to think it's important anymore. Yeah, Mainly, crazy, yeah. like not, I, I want to say, like ninety-eight percent of the movie is all within that jury room, which also has like bathrooms hooked up to it. So I consider that all all one room. But it's it's just it's so simple, and it's so well acted that it just it just works. It just completely works for me. Mm-hmm. I get it, man. So Twelve Angry Men. That's a good pick, brother, and uh, that's come up on the show before. So that's your that's your runner up. So my runner-up, Dan, is the only non-horror mentioned in my top five, and it's a musical, so it's way on the other side of the spectrum, although there's some freaky shit in it, so, <laughs> and uh, it's been actually known to scare children, so depending on how young you are, I guess maybe right. you could throw it in the horror realm, but it's 1939, so obviously the oldest on my list, 1939's The Wizard of Oz is my runner-up. Oh, okay. It's You've seen this? Yeah, I've seen it. This is probably, I think this is the okay, only one good. I've seen on your list, but yeah, this is, I've seen this. I was going to say, so far, yeah. So yeah, Wizard of Oz, man, I mean, kind of like what, what you said earlier when it came to Batman 89, like, what else can I say? I mean, the Wizard of Oz is just, you know, I don't know if you're a fan, but me seeing it at such a young age and watching it literally, every, I mean, you have to imagine if you are introduced to something by, in this case, I was introduced to it by my grandparents when I was probably three or four years old. Uh-huh. And you and you have to imagine some being introduced to something and then watching it every year for the rest of your life, <laughs> how how it you know embedded in your mind and the music and the scenery and like it's just part of like you close your eyes and you can just see it you know because you literally watch it every year and in my case I'm going to be 45 years old this year so I've seen this movie 
at a minimum 40 or 50 times. Uh, and it's just, I mean, it's a musical. I'm not a huge fan of musicals in general. Right. Um, but I attached to this at such a young age, and there's something special. I know you don't have kids or anything, but there's something special about being able to pass on things to different generations. And The Wizard of Oz is one of those where, you know, my grandparents passed it on to my mom. My mom passed it on to me. You know, I passed it on to my daughter. She loves it. Now, my, my son Logan just saw it for the first time this year. Uh, you know what I mean? It's just something special about that and that it was such a timeless thing that was created in the 1930s, man. I mean, this, you know, you were talking about some of the modern cinema that we see today. I mean, this is kind of a freaky, kind of fan, fantastical, fucked up story, The Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. And and it was told in 1939, you know, and it's just weird. Uh, we don't really think about that in those terms because it was done so well but i love this movie and i've talked about it on the show before and uh it's one of my favorite films of all time it's just a timeless classic that i hold very uh near and dear to my heart what do you think about wizard of oz man it's been so long since i watched it that i don't have an opinion on it right now like i i i think i i remember back to it and i'm just like yeah the movie's fine <laughs> I love when you do that. That's that's actually high praise from you when you're this fine. No, not really. <laughs> what do you remember if you saw? Did you see it as a kid? Oh yeah, but or, like I don't, I don't yeah. remember being excited by it. I don't, I don't remember like feeling any real emotion out of it. It was just like, sure. I mean, point taken. But when you think like in terms of like the landscape of pop culture, though, right? I mean, Wizard of Oz. I'm not going to deny its place in pop culture. I just. Yeah. For me, uh, like I just go okay. It's fine. Sure. It's great. It's a- I, I I get it. I I know you, so I get I get it's, it. It's, well, it's there's no place like home, Dan. So bring us home, man. What's your number one movie? Now, this would have been pre What month did you say you were born? August 1989. So pre Oh, is your birthday coming up? Did I fucking miss oh, it? Yeah. I didn't miss it. No, it's, no. It's, I missed no, it. No, it's not coming up. It's still coming up. Oh, okay. You have yeah. Not it's coming it. up. It's still coming up. Jesus. I got to send you more shit, I guess. No. Uh, send me more shit. If I get more, <laughs> no shit, more shit, I'm going to beat you. <laughs> no more no more shit. All right, well, uh, pre-August 1989, guys, is what Dan is using as his prerequisite for his list. What's your number one, man? Well, I didn't have to cheap out on this one. This one was real easy. Uh, it is 1982's The Thing. Uh, my, co- oh, my co-host yeah. is currently jumping for joy. This is his favorite movie of all time. I uh, recently gave it a rewatch, and dear, dear sweet Jesus, is this movie just incredible? Practical effects, uh, being entirely set in the wintertime, in the snow, in an Antarctic base, and you just can't trust anybody. You can't trust, like, no matter what they say, you can't trust anybody. Uh, and this mm-hmm. is the ultimate in that movie of suspense of, like, you don't know what's going to happen next until it happens. Uh, it is just pure insanity. There's nothing like the, the slow reveal of the dog and then the whole dog cage scene of just complete fucking insanity of this practical puppet just exploding out into the set and just fucking ripping everything apart and all of them just staring in shock as this thing just exists in front of them. It's amazing. Yeah. I agree, man. John Carpenter, too, by the way. One of my favorite filmmakers uh, ever. He's, he's in my top five filmmakers, John Carpenter. But yeah, I know Caleb's a huge fan of this movie. We talked about it last time he was on the show, too. And I love this film. Obviously, I can't pick it because I was born in 75. Uh, but it would have easily been on my list had I bo- been born post-82. Uh, Kurt Russell, amazing in this yeah. film. Uh, the special effects, to me, are the, the the star, kind of the standout here. Oh, yeah. Kind of the practical effects that you were mentioning already. Yeah, just watching, uh, yeah, like, all of the pieces just, like, shoot out of things. And, like, it, it just mm-hmm. continually grows into this horrific monstrosity that you're like, who the fuck came up with this? How deranged are you? <laughs> right. I'm going to have to rewatch that this October, man. No, 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 um, no, no, no. The first goddamn week of winter. That's when you rewatch the thing. I also rewatched it when a Neo Morricone oh, passed away. So that's, that's why I watched oh, it so yeah. recently. But first goddamn week of winter. That is when you watch this movie. Yeah, that makes sense. Actually, you're right. Yeah, I love that movie, man. I, I'm glad. I, I don't know why. I just as soon as you said it, I was like, oh yeah, of course. But I don't know why I wasn't thinking. I guess because I was born in '75, it wasn't on my radar for this, right. so I didn't think about it. But uh, great film, great pick, and I'm glad that one's your number one. The only one maybe I would have given you a pass to would have been Jaws. But between those two, 
great picks. So the thing from John Carpenter is your number one. My number one is also in the horror genre. So like I said, four out of five in my top five for this category are in the horror realm. Uh, poor patron Michelle is going to be like, oh my God, because every time I get on the horror train, she kind of cringes a little bit. But I'm sorry about that, Michelle. My number one is the classic that literally invented a genre of film. And it's George Romero's Night of the Living Dead, yeah. which came out in 1968 is my number one. Well, you used to really be scared here. Johnny! You're still afraid. Stop it now, I mean it! They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant! They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it! You're acting like a child! They're coming for you! Look! There comes one of them now! He'll hear you. Here he comes now. I'm getting out of here. Johnny. Uh, is this one you've seen by chance? I have. All right, Shockingly. Great. Well, I want to hear... I was going to say that it's kind of shocking. I kind of want to hear your thoughts on it because it's going to kind of go back to what we were saying earlier about the fear factor for films from, from a different era. But what... I mean... Okay, so Night of the Living Dead for me um, is... Definitely one of the greatest zombie films ever made. And not only that, it created the zombie genre and kind of gave it the rules that pretty much all other films in that genre have followed for the last 50 years. And George Romero is a pioneer in that way where Night of the Living Dead, in fact, I don't know if you know this, was filmed in your neck of the woods in Yes, Pittsburgh. I am very well aware of this. Yeah, in the Pittsburgh area. And, uh, you know, he was a dude that just come out of film school and you know, had this idea, Romero, and he basically just got a bunch of his buddies together and, you know, put them in makeup and cheap makeup, mind you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're wandering around the fields in, you know, suburbs of Pittsburgh filming Night of the Living Dead. And it was also a very revolutionary film because the main protagonist in that film, the hero, if you will, of that film was Dwayne Jones, who was a black man. Right. And this is this is in 1968. And you can imagine right in the midst of the civil rights movement and how black men were not seen as heroic figures in cinema uh, during that time. And what Romero said is he said, look, he said Dwayne was the best actor. <laughs> he said it wasn't because he was black or like, you know, because he didn't have an option for a white right. dude. It's like Dwayne was the best actor for that role of Ben. And he... That's who he cast for it. And I thought that was, that's a really cool, I know it's really simple and really kind of like basic, like uh, fact about the movie, but that always really like just makes me really happy, you know, that he just, I know it's cheesy, but like he didn't see the color of his skin. He was just like, oh, this guy can really act these lines. He's really killing this role. This is who I'm going to cast for. It. And he didn't even think about his race, you know, which I wish as a society we could do that more, I guess is what I'm saying. But yeah, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead is an iconic film uh, in horror. It created a subgenre, and it's gonna—I mean, it's gonna go down. I mean, it, there is a Criterion release for this too, by the way, because it's one of the uh, AFI Institute's uh, top 100 films of all time, and I think for good reason. So that's my number one from 1968, man. What did you think of this? I'm curious. It's fine. That's that's your review. Yes. Look, I. I watch it. Uh, I recognize. I have a very difficult time putting myself in a frame of mind that puts me back much farther than yeah. 1970, uh, which is why it's a miracle at all that Twelve Angry Men was even on my list in the first place. But uh, I, I have a hard time connecting with with filmmaking from before that time period. So when I watch this. It's just like, all right, yeah, like it, it's it feels like a cheap independent film, and he did the best mm -hmm. he could with it, and mm -hmm. he like obviously he did so well that he cre created a genre in and of itself. But I just go, I look at it now, and I'm like, I know I'm not I'm not horrified. Uh, I find it sort of cheesy, and I think the whole. I, I want to say like the whole heroic black man was underscored by uh, the ending where he he's just shot because they think he's a zombie, but it also could just be mm -hmm. because he's a black man. Uh, there there's different right. layers to that, but like I just look at that movie and I went, yeah, 
Okay, I I get I get the importance, but eh, it's whatever. Yeah, no, no, I, I get that too, and you know, I think that uh, the icon part of it is, is a lot to do with why I'm putting it at my number one, just sure. because it is such an historic piece of filmmaking. Um, but what I would urge you to do, and what I actually did last year, you know, during our our buddies over there, EFG, do the horror challenge. And last year, if you're going to tell I me to revisit- rewatch it, I rewatched it last year for the horror challenge, and I went. Well, what yeah. I did, well, what I did, and I didn't. Okay, well, the reason I'm saying this too, though, is because I agree with you, and you know, we mentioned Jaws earlier. Yeah. I agree with you. There's films that I can see their merits, and I can see that if I saw them as a ten year old boy when they came out, it would be different than me seeing them now. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Especially for the first time, right, right? But what I did last year, like. Night of the Living Dead, I literally was in the dark on my laptop with headphones on watching this movie. Because your wife kicked you out. And Yeah, this is subtext I wasn't going to add. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're painting the picture. And uh, it's creepy, man. Like, it's a very creepy film. And you're right, though. It does require extra effort on the viewer's part to in some ways transport themselves out of 2019 or 2020 or whatever do you know what i mean so you're right i do agree with you but it really worked for me when i did it that way last year and i didn't do that on purpose i was just happened to have my laptop and that was the only way i could watch a movie that night and it was really it's really fucking it was really fucking it, it was really well done you know it was a really well done piece of filmmaking from a creepy factor. I'm not saying it like scared me. Right. But it was it was creepy if you engulf yourself into the story that Romero was creating there. And again, we talked about this earlier too, but these folks going out to see this in the in the late 60s, they didn't they didn't know what a zombie was, bro. Like they did they had never seen a zombie on the big screen. Do you know what I'm saying? At least the way that Romero was portraying it. Uh the undead. So you got. I know it's tough because, like you said, like you see it now and you go, "Okay, it was kind of stupid." It's a guy walking around. I wouldn't say stupid. I just go, "Yeah, no." Like I, I see what I see. It's merit, but I just go. For me, yeah. I have seen this, it and I've seen it iterated on, and I've seen it improved upon. So, like mm-hmm. watching where it comes from, you're like you you look at it as like this unmolded piece of clay and as time has gone on people and even Romero himself have molded that clay into something right, that right. you know you can recognize right. and you can appreciate yeah you look at something like the walking dead or like train to busan and it's like you watch that and then if you follow that up with night of the living dead you're going to be like uh it's <laughs> fucking what is this you know what i mean right but if you know the lineage, I guess, um, then you can appreciate it more, which I know you do, but I just, uh, you know, like I introduced this to my daughter last year, uh, October, and she's a film buff. You know, she's going to film school and stuff like that. So much like you, she really appreciated it for like the filmmaking aspects of it, especially from like an independent kind of, you know, scrapping stuff together to put it together uh, point of view as opposed to the scare factor. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, and I think that's kind of what you're saying too. So I do agree with you. I just think if in the right setting or maybe with the right people, uh, you could really get get some of that those scares out of it too. So that's my number one, man. Night of the Living Dead, George Romero's classic. So Dan, you know the deal, man. We're gonna shout out fans online, and we're gonna see what they, when they were born and what they had to say if they got it right. That, that if is. they got it right. But before we do that, what do I like to do? You got to round out that top 10. When you're on the P's, you got to round out <laughs> that top 10. Fuck yes, brother. So would you like to do that first? What what were the rest of your, what would be your honorable mentions? Sure. Uh, my number six was uh, a movie I just did a review on for Epic Film Guys, Caddyshack. Uh, mm, okay. Number seven, to the shock of everyone, Star Wars. The first one. What? The first one. What? The first one is the best one. Uh, it's uh, not, not even true. A first of all, no, second Empire's of all, Empire's fucking trash. Okay, hold on, bro. But well, second, I didn't think you liked like any of no. them. I thought did you, were you kind not of a listen to my thing? I did, but you're kind. You were kind of. I know that this is your favorite though. But oh yeah, this is the best. I one. still didn't. I still didn't think you liked it though. No, I mean, no, not, this one's great. It's fun. Uh, it's Empire's fun. Better. Uh, like it sets up a lot of story that then is completely ruined by Empire. Like it's it's I, I like really. this one a lot. 
I don't agree with that assessment. I, but that's okay. I'm glad you like it, though. I mean, there is hope. All right, what's your eight? Uh, full Metal Jacket. Uh, a Stanley Kubrick oh, movie, to the one. shock of everybody, actually, because I fucking hate Stanley Kubrick. But Full Metal Jacket's actually mm-hmm. amazing. Oh, the first half of Full Metal Jacket is amazing. The second half is kind of whatever until, like, the final sequence. Yeah. Uh, number nine. Uh, maybe, actually, the oldest movie on my list. Uh, Strangers on a Train, my, the Hitchcock movie that uh, I said I had seen. Oh, okay. I, I yep. Like, it's right. not it's not scary, but it is it is thrilling to a degree because, like, you watch mm-hmm. it and you're just like... It, it, it's, a, it's a premise you look at now and you go, wait, what? Like, two people talk to each other and they, they, they decide to kill each other. Like, one guy interprets it as like, yeah, I'm going to kill your fucking dad for you. And, like, the other guy's like, what an, what an <laughs> idiot. I'll just say whatever to get him off. <laughs> right. Uh, and then uh, 10, Big Trouble in Little China, because Kurt oh, Russell, yeah. Good one. John Carpenter. Yeah. Come on. John Carpenter again. In the 80s. Yeah. I love it. Dude, what is wrong with me, though? So I'm looking at my honorable mentions. I got basically, what, three musicals. Uh, and then I had Wizard of Oz, too. But anyway, my number six would have been a movie called My Fair Lady from 1964. Sure. It won the Academy Award that year. Stars the uh, just incomparable Audrey Hepburn, one of the greatest Hollywood icons and starlets in history. So My Fair Lady would have been my number six. My number seven would have been Gene Wilder in the classic Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which came out in 1971, which I didn't even know until you pitched this topic to me. I didn't realize it was that Oh, yeah. Old. Well, we just, talk, we just talked about this on a recent episode, and we are like, 1971? Oh, my God, this movie's 49 years old. Jesus fucking Christ. I know. That's crazy, man. But Gene Wilder, just a manic, uh, just a beautiful performance it's movie. amazing that he doesn't show up until halfway through like, i know like, it really i i re-watching that i went wait where where's where's Willy wonka <laughs> right right 1942 was the year that my number eight came out consider one of the greatest films of all time casablanca okay you ever seen no. that one another one another musical at my number nine singing in the rain from 1952 sure. mr gene kelly Another musical, one of the very few that I actually enjoy. And then my number 10 is the other horror mention that on my list would probably be widely considered as the very first uh, vampire film from 1922 is uh, Nosferatu. That would be my number 10. It's uh, basically a silent film about uh, this vampire who, it's not Dracula by any means, but it's this vampire who is just trying to find love and trying to connect with the, his significant other. Right. Nosferatu is also another one of those films that you really have to sit down and be ready to appreciate the level of filmmaking that took place in the 20s. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're if you're sitting down yes. and you're like I want to be scared, this is not the movie for you. Right. Yeah. All right, man. So we're going to head over to social media and shout out the fans, brother. Let me uh, pull that up here, Danny boy. I tell you what, what do you want to start on Twitter or Facebook? Let's do Twitter. Sure. Start it's your show, Gerald. I don't care. <sighs> it's actually your show, man. You, you fucking, you pick this, you're a patron, you, you run the show, man. But with that being said, I'm going to start on Twitter. <laughs> so I said, and again, I don't know if the wording threw people off. I guess we'll see as we run through some of these, but I said, what are your favorite films that came out before the year you were born? Okay. Uh-huh. So Doug from Good Times, Great Movies has got his five here. He says Vertigo, Solaris, Picnic at Hanging Rock, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, and The Mummy. And he said he avoided Mulholland Drive and Suspiria, which I wonder what... Well, he was born in 77, so... There's another Mulholland Drive? I don't think so, unless... Well, maybe. I don't know. Because Mulholland Drive came out in 2000. Yeah, I'm looking, I'm Doug's looking not up. a young young dude. <laughs> and actually, Suspiria, I feel like, came out post-77, too. Um, so I wonder if he had the brief wrong, too, there. I'm not sure. Uh, uh, Michelle, oh, I meant... What, is there another one? No, I'm, I don't see one, no. Mm, yeah, I don't know. Okay, so uh, Michelle, patron of the show, the one that I mentioned that loves my horror uh, shout-outs... So she's got okay. So she was born in 1969. Uh huh. So her hers are The Wizard of Oz, The Parent Trap, Mary Poppins, The Sound of Music, and Your Mine and Ours. Okay. There you go. 
Uh, what year was Caleb born, Dan? Do you, do you know? Uh, 85? Yeah, 85 sounds right. He did not shout out the thing, mm, which is strange to me. But he's got a gif here that I think is Planet of the Apes. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't I know what he's doing. Caleb, what's wrong with you? Yeah, maybe he forgot about the thing, which is which is uh, hard to believe, but yeah. Uh, your boy Dave over at Super Movie Rose has also got Star Wars. I mean, there you go. He he likes it more than I do, but yeah, yeah. Most people do. Yeah, well, most people, uh, except 10. for uh, a person I share a living <laughs> space with. Oh uh, yes, <laughs> there you go. Mario in the bar says the Great Escape would be his pick. Word Salad Radio's got Double Indemnity, The Apartment, Dr. Strangelove, and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. MDX Pods listed Back to the Future, which means they were born post-85. Mm-hmm. Wow. When was Chris Brayton born? Because he's got Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom here. <laughs> that was is he is he that young? Seriously? I guess. <laughs> when did that come out? Oh my God. I didn't know he was that young. Maybe he didn't get the brief either. I don't think he's that young. Chris, I don't. you're not that young, brother. Uh, John Arthur Bell's got the general, Shane, you can't take it with you, murder my sweet, and out of the past. Those are his top five before the year he was born, which was 1955. Paul from the countdown has a gif of Quint being uh, eaten alive by Jaws. Oh, I, so I think go. Paul's older than that. Don't, don't let him fool you. Yeah, we're. I think we're about the same age. Actually... I think he's older than me. I wonder if he cheated on that one. Jaws may have already been out when he was born. I think he might be a little bit older than me. And I was born in November of that year. Uh, Bubby, Ashley, over there. I think you know her. She's probably floating around somewhere out there. Right? Uh, sure. She says, she has a good list here, dude. She's, she was born in 82. She says, The Thing, Poltergeist, and E.T. Yeah. The, uh, good picks, I mean, man. She was born in 83, but uh, she picked all movies from 1982. So, oh, she did she, the brief wrong, but that's a good list. She fucked it up. I yelled her. <laughs> What'd you tell her? Did she told you her you're an idiot. And she just went, eh, my list is fine. So <laughs> she moved on with it. Oh, man. It was a good list, though. All right, Dan, we're going to wrap up over on the Facebook fan page. Guys, if you have not joined up yet, please check the show notes and join up to the Facebook fan community if you're on there. Because as Dan will tell you, that is where I try to interact with our fans the most. Dan, what do we got over there, man? Let's see. I don't read these, as you know, in real time mm-hmm. here. All right. Uh, Chris Yaney, patron of the show, good friend of the show. He says a few of his, I don't know what year he was born, but he says Angels with Dirty Faces, Apocalypse Now. That's a good one. Goldfinger, The Great Escape, and Two Mules for Sister Sarah. The only one I really know on his list are Goldfinger and Apocalypse yeah, Now. Yeah, I've never heard of the 70s. other 70s. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Dan uh, Daniel, I should say, from the movie journey says Wall Street, Predator, and Full Metal Jackets is number one. There you go. I know you like that. Yeah. The two Dan's sinking up there. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Travis Crawford, a frequent cl- uh, contributor and a recent guest on the show, says he has a lot, but he's going to mention Doctor Strange, Love, Star Wars, and Psycho. There you go. Sam Hurley from Movie Reviews and 20 Qs, who is the guest on the show this week, as you and I are sitting here, Dan, yes. says Raiders of the Lost Ark, Mad Max 2, and Das Boot. How about that? Oh, I like this one. So Patrick Sherwood's a good friend of the show. He's always giving feedback. Thank you so much, Patrick. So he's got a lot of Hitchcock. He's got a lot of horror, so you know I'm going to throw it out here. Uh, here's his list. Rear Window, Psycho, Duel, Jaws, Phantasm, Halloween, Rocky, Alien, The Empire Strikes Back, and The Shining. Did you ever see Duel, by the way? No. Dan, no. the Spielberg made-for-TV movie, do you know about it? Uh, I know he did a made-for-TV movie. It was his first uh, feature-length film, and it, it ended up being bought out by, I think, ABC, and they put it on as like a TV movie, like when they used to do like the Friday night movies right, or whatever. Yeah. And uh, it was early. It was before Jaws. It was early 70s. And it's a really cool film. Because it's a film about a guy that's driving cross country in his car, and he's being basically stalked by this truck driver in an eighteen wheeler, wow. and he can't seem to get away from him. And the we never see the driver of the truck; we just always see the truck, and it's always just kind of on it. It's just chasing him down, and the guy doesn't know why. Like you know, he kind of is paranoid. Like is it following me? 
like whatever. So it's a really cool kind of like cat and mouse story. Sure. And it was it was before cell phones, obviously, because you know the guy couldn't just call nine one one or whatever. So you have to uh, remember that when you're watching it. Let's get through a couple more here, Dan. So uh, our buddy Julio from the Contrarians has got his five. Jesus Christ Superstar, Knights of Cabarilla, which I don't know, Network, Modern Times, and Annie Hall. Annie Hall's a good one, actually. And then uh, what do you want to wrap up on here, man? Let's wrap up on Dan Roski, who's a new patron and a new fan to the page over there. Thank you so much, Dan. But his five are The Godfather, Dr. Strangelove, 2001, which is another Kubrick, The Music Man, uh-oh, he's sighing, guys. 2001. The Music Man and Modern Times. Do that. Now, what do you have to say about 2001? Go ahead. A pile of garbage. The slowest movie really? I've ever experienced in my entire life, and I wanted to blow my brains out. I didn't really want to do that because no movie is that wow. bad. But dear God, was I bored watching that movie. Wow. I actually enjoyed 2001. Space Odyssey, Dan. It's a Space Odyssey. Dan Brennett, guys. He's from Netflix as well. He's a good friend of the show. And uh, whether he wants to admit it or not, he's a good friend of mine in real life, too. So we uh, we do the whole friendship thing, Dan, you and I. Sure. I drove up I drove to New York just to see you. So uh, I guess that's true. Take that for what it's, what it's worth. Why don't you tell everybody, man? I mean, if they're into Netflix, they should be checking out you and Caleb. Tell them where they can find yeah, you. Yeah, Netflixandswill.com. Uh, Netflixandswill.com slash listen to find, get a podcatcher uh, link as to where we are. Uh, and that's about it. Yeah. Dan, uh, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to the beach in a couple days, and uh, I'm busy with COVID, right? Uh-huh. So there is a high likelihood I'm going to forget your birthday. So I'm just going to tell you right now, happy birthday. And uh, I'd rather you, you no, those, no, I'd rather you just forgot it. <laughs> I'll tell you, take one of those Spider-Man glasses I already sent you, and wrap it up and fucking open it on your birthday, and that's for me. What do you think? Sure, I'm, I'm not doing. I'm, that I'm, work, I'm that not going to do that. <laughs> oh man, send my best to Ashley, brother, and uh, I can't wait till COVID's over so you you and I can go see movies together again in an actual theater. Yeah. Not not pay thirty dollars to watch it on our couch. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll make that happen hopefully sooner than later. But. Uh, hopefully. All right, man. Thanks so much, uh, guys. Until next week, I will be back with another top five and another pee on the pod. I'll see you guys then. Thank you, Dan. Take care, buddy. Bye. Thank you for listening. Two Peas is an independent podcast. We rely on donations from our executive producers in order to release new content weekly. Please check the show notes for a current list of all of our executive producers. If you would like to join them to help us continue to release great content, please visit Two Peas on a Pod at patreon.com or check out the show notes for this episode. Again, we sincerely thank you for listening.